You may ask. How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I'll answer as many as possible. You can call in, I think, at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. I hope everybody enjoyed the holidays. I certainly enjoyed it with family. It was beautiful, beautiful weather, yummy cheesecake. Yeah, I forgot to bring in my pictures. Every year I bring in a picture of cheesecake. Actually, I've been using the same picture for a few years because my wife makes the same cheesecake. It looks the same, so you can always review the picture. Um, In any case, it is interesting. Um, And I'm not sure, I forgot to ask, if we're still on Hay 19. I think we're done with Hay 19. I think that program ended. But I could still talk Corona. Things are starting to empty out, to uh, let us out of the houses, people out, of, people doing stuff, a lot of people going back to work, which is great. I actually, uh, I'm really excited. You all know I'm a teacher. I have about 25 children in my class. And for the last couple months, um, it's been phone conferences. And I know parents listening with their children. And what happens is the children are on the phone. And I'll start teaching, and then if they hit the number one button, so it raises their hand. So I get a message, um, 48, which is the last two digits of someone's phone number. I look down my, my notes, and I see, okay, it's a certain boy. I call it his name. Okay, yes, what would you like? And he'll say, oh, mistake. Okay, put his hand down. And then the next one will, who called in 10 minutes late, of course, will say, oh, where are we up to? Even though I just had said where we were up to, put down his hand. They'll ask questions. They won't ask questions. They'll forget their questions. So it's fine. It worked, but it was certainly not the best. So starting next week, I am allowed, because the governor has allowed 100 people for social gathering as long as there's social distancing. So we'll put up a few tents in my backyard, not with walls, just like the roofs to protect them from the shade. And anyways, I have a lot of trees in my backyard, and we will spread out desks and chairs and tables, and uh, I'll be able to teach my class. It won't be in a classroom. I'm trying to get a chalkboard. For those of you who are old enough to remember a chalkboard, now there are whiteboards and, and smart boards, and, but something that I can, I can write if I have to show them something, and it'll be a little more normal. So I sent out yesterday letters to the parents, one with rules and regulations, one with a release form so the parents understand their responsibility, my responsibility, the children's responsibility, and keep everybody on the same page. So that's, that's good news coming up, and I am, I am very excited about that. Just, just to get back to class, right? Those of you who are children are in public school, high schools, college, yeah, they're still all stuck at home because really... For public schools, the year is over. But for the rest of us, if we're in, uh, if we're dealing with private schools and stuff, at least we can get back to educating the children at least a little bit. It won't be a full day. 
It's really not fear. It's too much. They're going to be stuck in a chair. They can't really have recess right now where they're going to run around. So they're going to be in the chair, and, and they'll have a table, put their books down. I'll give them a 10-minute break, but not really to do much, to have snack, uh, to have a drink. Um, if they want to stand, I'll, I'll let them stand, but they can't really congregate. Not yet. They don't have permission to allow them to do that. So, but we're gonna we're gonna make a go at it. The, the children are excited about it. They've got to get out of the house, even to talk to friends across a table. You know, with the social distancing, will be something that will be so healthy and so good for them. I can see them. I can talk to them. I can make sure they're understanding. Um, so that'll be fantastic. So that's something I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, David or Angel, sorry for bothering, but you usually give me a clock, so whenever you get around to it, that would be fantastic. So I know how much time I have. Um, one other thing that I was thinking about, um, actually a rabbi told it to me. It's very interesting. We just had the holiday of Shavuot. The Jewish people received the Torah. So it's very interesting. We received the Torah on the seventh day of Sivan. Forty days later, the Jewish people sinned by the golden calf. Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets. Moses goes back to God for another 40 days and prays. Moses goes up another 40 days, been there a total 120 days on the mountain, comes down on Yom Kippur with the second tablets, with the second luchos. So it is interesting, there is a major difference that the rabbis talk about between the first tablets, the first set of tablets, and the second set of tablets. The first ones, the Torah says, in Parashas Yisro, that there was thunder and lightning and smoke and the mountain was shaking and the world was shaking. The world knew God had come down to give the Torah. A lot of noise, a lot of publicity. Everybody knows. The second luchos that come down, the second pair of tablets that come down on Yom Kippur, those are very quiet. There's no thunder. There's no lightning. There's no earthquakes. There's no smoke. It's quiet. So we learn from there the concept of doing things quietly, privately. Don't announce it to the world that when you want to do something great, if, and it's not always possible, but if you can do it in such a way that, that it's like private, the world doesn't have to know. We didn't have to make a big announcement in all the newspapers. Say newspapers, radio, social media, however you want to do it. Podcasts. However, we're going to inform the world, if you can do it quietly, you will have a much better chance at success. Things done privately without fanfare, God just allows it to move along. And because, again, if you're doing it with a big show, so now it is, uh, you're getting honor, there's people getting in the way, people find out about it. Things done privately have much more success. That's the bottom line. What does that have to do with this year? So in a normal year, on a Shavuos night, um, many men, now by Svaradim, even the women, but the men will go to synagogue, will go to their yeshivos, and they will study all night long. And you walk in, and it's loud. You got people packed in because it's the holidays, so everybody's home, and everybody comes, and everybody studies four or five hours. Of course, uh, my son in Miami, uh, it would seem... Much just because of when not when the holiday starts. Here, the holiday started 9 30, 10 o'clock. By the time you finish the meal, it's 12 o'clock, it's 12 30. By 5 o'clock in the morning, you're getting ready for prayers. So, yeah, four and a half hours. 
But in Miami, just with sunset and sunrise, it's actually very different. It's the southern part of the country. So he might be starting the holiday 8.39. He might be finished with his meal 10.30, 11 o'clock. And, and the sunrise around 8 o'clock. So maybe he's praying at 7. So you got from 11 to 7, that's, that's, that's 8 hours. That is a long Long evening, but in any case, there's noise and people are studying. It's beautiful. You like you walk in and you're like hit with a wave of people studying. It's fantastic. But this year, you really couldn't go to the synagogues to study. Maybe a few people went with social distancing, but it was much quieter. Not the same scene. Most people that attempted to stay up for the night were probably sitting around the dining room table, which is what I did. My, one of my son-in-laws was outside under the tent, but it's different. It's not so loud. It's very private, um, almost symbolic of in regular years. We do it like the first tablets, which was loud and noise. And this year was like the second tablets, very quiet. Uh, still, I hate, as we say in Yiddish, um, and not so noticeable. And maybe that's something we needed to do it in a quiet way to get back our permission to do it the old way. Or maybe it's a lesson. I don't know. I thought it was very, very fascinating what's been going on. Okay. You know, sometimes I have interview after interview after interview. And I love interviews. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes I'm just not in the mood. This week, I decided, you know what? I want it to be just me and you. Me and my friends, let's just talk about this week's Torah portion. There's so much stuff to talk about. So many weeks I barely get to to even scratch what's happening in the Torah portion. I said, this week, let me have some time. There's so many things happening. So this show and the next one are just going to be me and you talking Torah, talking about the parasha, getting some really great lessons. So this week's Torah portion is Nusso. Nusso happens to be the longest single Torah portion. It's got 176 verses. There are Torah portions where we double it up, and then you can have upwards of 200 and change. But as a single Torah portion, this one is the winner. It's Nusso, 176 verses. By the way, um, uh, the longest tractate also has 176 pages. And I believe the longest chapter in Psalms also has 176 verses. I'm not sure the, the significance of the number 176, but it is fascinating that that seems to be a very large number. But in any case, in any case, the, um, the beginning of the Torah portion is still talking about the jobs of the Levites. We started last week's Torah portion counting some of the Levite families and this week's Torah portion will finish counting them with their jobs. So we start with Kahas. Um, Levi, or the Levites, had, Levi had three sons. His oldest was Gershon. His second oldest was Kahas. And his third oldest is Merari. So they each have jobs. In other words, there, there's two sets of jobs, which I, I do want to touch upon later. I got a beautiful email with a beautiful message. But um, it works like this. Gershon is going to carry the curtains. And it was the main jobs of the Levites in the desert. They had two jobs. They had to take apart and rebuild the Mishkan, to take apart and rebuild the tabernacle. That's one job. And the other job was they would sing when sacrifices were brought. Those are their two jobs. Now, 
it's it's very ordered. Everybody has a specific job. You can't do somebody else's job. You get killed for doing somebody else's job. So, for example, right, the tabernacle is made up of boards, these humongous beams and sockets, and you've got the curtains that cover it. You've got the courtyard, the beams, and again, the curtains of the courtyard and the front doors. And then you have all the vessels, the 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 ark, the urin, and the menorah, and the and the showbread table, the shulchan, and the the altars. So Gershon carries the curtains. He's actually going to have two wagons to help him. That's laid in the Torah portion where they get these wagons. He's going to have um, two wagons. Um, Merari, the youngest brother, is going to carry the beams and the sockets. They're going to have four wagons. And Kahas, they're going to carry the vessels. Again, the ark and the menorah and the show, showbread table and the and the and the um, the the altars, the mizbeachs. Now they have a lot of people. They may have you know twelve or thirteen hundred people. They're obviously not all carrying that stuff. They don't all have what to do, and it was a dangerous job. You're carrying the ark. You got to be a pretty big, righteous person and have the right mindset, or you could get killed. Very dangerous job. But that's not the focus that I wanted. It is interesting. Gershon is the oldest, right? He's got the curtains. Gahas is the second oldest, right? Out of three brothers. He is not the oldest. He is not the Bechar. He is not the firstborn. And all he gets, all he gets is... Um, is is uh, who, uh, now I lost track of mine. Okay, let's try again. So Gerishon again. Gerishon is the oldest. He gets the curtains. Kahas is the second oldest, but he gets the best job, right? It would make sense that the vessels are the most prestigious job to have. So the the question is, what is the lesson in that? Like, why? It, it could be Kahas is the most important of the brothers, right? He's more important, obviously. He's more righteous. He's not alive anymore. But therefore, his family is more deserving of this, this uh, more important job. But that means, and I was telling my son about this this morning, and we've talked about it in the past, um, being the oldest, being the firstborn, does not mean you automatically, by, by the Jewish people, does not mean you get the best, that you're automatically first. We have in other places, we know the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed. Uh, and uh, the, the idolatrous countries in those days, the firstborn was everything. While, while the Jewish people, we see throughout the Torah, being the firstborn doesn't mean you're it. And the Torah seems to do it on purpose. Isaac is not the oldest. Jacob is not the oldest. Um, the Levite tribe is certainly not the oldest. Um, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim is not the oldest. And here again... We have Kahas getting the, the choice of the positions, the choice of the jobs, and he's not the oldest. Now, it could even be even more. Uh, there's a Kliyaka that I saw. It says, fascinating. If the oldest brother, Gershon, would have the honor of carrying the ark, you would say it's not because he was the most special. You would say it's because he's the firstborn. Oh, must be the firstborn is special. Therefore, the oldest brother gets to carry the vessels. No, it's got to be just the opposite. We cannot give, God cannot give Gershon the choicest of the jobs because he wants to make sure people understand you got to earn it. It's what you earn. It is not, um, it's not where your position is in the family. 
So the only way to do that is to specifically give the job over to Kahas, which becomes very, very fascinating. Um, something else is also pretty interesting, um, and that is um, people complain. And it's interesting that um, the curtains have wagons, and the beams are going to have wagons, but the vessels have to be carried. Why? Because it, we, the Chassam Sefer says, could be, you have so many complainers out there. Where unfortunately, people complain. Oh, Zafir, he has the best job and wagons. Okay, he doesn't have wagons. Okay, so now it's harder to complain. You guys have curtains, but you have wagons. You have beams, you have wagons. You, carry, you have the vessels, you have to carry them. Again, a lot of this, and it's even in the simple giving out of jobs of what each family in the Levite family has to do, even that, there has to be a lot of thought into who's doing the carrying, who gets the wagons, who's first, who's second. We should never take for granted anything, anything in the Torah, even this simple concept of handing out jobs, there has to be a lot, a lot of thought put into it. Okay, and as always, I see my time is flowing, and I desperately wanted to discuss um, the Sota. And I have so many things to talk about, and I won't get through everything I want, but I'm going to try to touch on a few, a few points. First, I have to explain to you what a Sota, I think in English they say a wayward wife is. Sota is a very interesting concept. Um, husband and wife, it can happen. Uh, let's not talk about nowadays. It can happen that a husband comes becomes suspicious that his wife is sleeping around. He becomes suspicious. Now, that obviously will lead to a lot of friction. Whether true, whether not true, uh, friction. And the Torah doesn't want that friction. So the Torah created this concept called the wayward wife, or the Hebrew word is a sota. So it happens like this. The husband has this suspicion so he'll go to his wife with witnesses and he'll say, um, I have the suspicion that you are going to someone else's house and sleeping with him. And uh, stop. It has to stop. Now, how much do you have to warn her a specific person? Is it more general? It would seem it's more specific. If witnesses, if witnesses see that she sleeps with somebody, so she's done. She has to get divorced. Forget what people do nowadays. We're just talking the, the real rules and regulations, the Torah's rules and regulations. So this woman again goes into a room alone with a man for the amount of time it takes for, for them to get into bed. You know what I mean? So you get the story. And witnesses saw. So now, here's what happens. She is now, she is now qualified. She is considered this thing called a, a sota. Now, what happens? The husband will bring her to court. The husband will bring her up to the temple. There's a whole process. I'm just, uh, we have to see if we have time to get through the process over here. But the, the, the husband will bring her up to the temple. And there's a process. And she has to bring a sacrifice. And we're going to take water from the, it's called the laver. There was this copper um, vessel that they used to wash their hands from. We're going to take water from there. We're going to take some, some dirt from the temple floor. And we're going to write the Torah portion about the Sota, this week's Torah portion. 
and we're going to write it with an ink that could be erased. You know, it's not an ink that's going to stick to the paper and not come off. And we're going to stick that into the water. It's called the bitter waters. Some say we even put in something bitter, and she has to drink it. Now, it's amazing. The Torah tells us in that Torah portion is God's name. So the Torah tells us if she's innocent and she's going to have to swear that she understands that she's drinking this and if she's innocent, things will be good. But if she's guilty, she's going to die. It was made very, very clear. And she's going to drink it. Again, if she chooses not to drink it, she just has to get divorced and life moves on. But if she's sticking to her guns that she is innocent, she did not sleep with anybody, so she will drink this. If she's innocent, it says she'll be She'll be blessed, she'll have healthier children, she'll have stronger children, she'll have easier labors, all kinds of stuff that will be helpful to a, a mother. And if she's guilty, she's going to die. Now, it happens to be very fascinating. Um, if, the Torah says, if she has merits, she's actually going to live for another year or two, and slowly but surely, everyone will see that her body is disintegrating and collapsing, and she'll die. So if she has merits, she gets to live for a year or two, but she will suffer. If she has no merits, she's just going to drop dead on the spot. So a person could think, hey, isn't it easier to just die and be done with it instead of suffering for a year or two? So um, I saw this question this morning. I decided I wanted to have some time to, to talk about it. It's very, very interesting. you got to think about this. Yes. If you have no value for time and no value for life, then it's true that that suffering is much worse than dying right away. But if you understood the value of time, if a person understood what could be accomplished, actually it says in the Talmud that one second of repentance is worth more than all the world to come. If we understood the value of time, then we wouldn't ask that question. So therefore, if she has merit, she's getting more time to live because she can accomplish, with those few years left, she can accomplish an amazing amount. Time is very valuable, even for a person who is suffering. We've talked about this before, euthanasia, uh, quality of life. That is not a Torah concept. The Torah understands clearly that every second a person lives has value. Look, when time is up, time is up. Everybody dies, right? We're not hiding that fact. We don't think we're living forever, even though we do, but we really don't. So if we understood the value of time, right, even if it comes with suffering, life with suffering is better than just dying on the spot, no matter what people think, because they don't recognize the value of time. And that actually answers a very famous um, It's a medrash. The medrash says that there were three people who advised the pharaoh when it came to taking care of the Jewish people. So there was the Bilam, the sorcerer. He said, drown him. There was Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who says, how could you do that? What are you, crazy? You can't kill them. You have to be thankful to them. And then there's Job or Eov. And he was quiet. So what happened was Bilam is killed. Job has the suffering of Job, and Jethro, of course, becomes the father-in-law of Moses. So a person could think all that suffering of Job has to be much worse than, uh, than Bill of just dying. So the answer is what we just said. The answer is if a person understood the value of time, 
So, yeah, once a person dies, his time is done. Yeah, the soul will go wherever the soul will go, to heaven, if it's unfortunate, it has to go to hell. Whatever's going to happen to that soul is going to happen, right? But if we understood the value of time, even with suffering, right, the person wants to live, he can serve God, he can build up his credit in the world to come, all that is really a very, very important thought. And my time is flying. So actually, I'm going to tell you a quick thought, one more thought about corona. Maybe I'll stick it in. I was speaking to a friend on the phone yesterday, and he tells me that right before corona hit, he's a life insurance agent, and he started learning to use Zoom. This contact, that contact. So when corona hit, so he all of a sudden had another way to go about his business because he wasn't lost. He had a new way. It's God had set him up beforehand to learn how to use Zoom, so he could go ahead and continue his business. So a lot of us, with all the things that have been happening with corona and all the suffering going on, people have to understand, God has taught people new ways to work, new ways to do business. But we got to make sure we open our eyes to check it out. And here already comes my music, We Are Flying. So I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. You know, I couldn't do it without my sponsors and listeners, and I couldn't do it without you. Thank you again to my wonderful production team. We have David and Angel in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Father, what we're gonna make.